If you enjoy Imagineer Podcast, you will love Imagineer Society. You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. As Walt Disney once said, it takes a lot of money to make these dreams come true. An Imagineer Podcast is no exception in order to keep our podcast free for listeners. We, of course, have expenses related to hosting our website and the podcast itself, equipment, and that really just scratches the surface. And I believe that no matter how much you are willing or able to contribute to the show, you deserve a little bit of uh, rewards in return for that. So if you join, and even if you're just willing to contribute or able to contribute, $1 a month, which is a total of $12 a year, you still get perks and rewards in return. Of course, the more you contribute, the more perks you get. Certain perks include things like access to a private Facebook group, access to my close friends list on Instagram, live Q&As that are held just for Imagineer Society members. We also do monthly video calls with a small group of listeners and myself. We hop on a video call and just chat about all things Disney or anything else that's on our mind. You also get early access to every podcast episode, bonus podcast episodes just for Imagineer Society members, and there's a lot more. And again, you can learn more all about that by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast. Thanks as always to all of our Imagineer Society listeners, and I appreciate your support for the show. Coffee, hot dogs, and ice cream. This might be my favorite corner of Main Street, USA, or at least the most savory. Whether you're in the mood for coffee or soda, pastries or ice cream, hot dogs or french fries, a soda or a sundae, you'll find them all here at the end of Main Street. We'll start at the Main Street Bakery, which has had a long history here at the Magic Kingdom. Since 2013, the Main Street Bakery has been the home of Starbucks coffee products, in addition to an assortment of Starbucks and Disney Parks pastries and merchandise. Ever since the addition of this sponsorship, the Main Street Bakery has been busier than ever, so much so that they removed indoor seating to make room for two separate queues and counters, creating essentially two coffee shops under one roof. Prior to Starbucks, the Main Street Bakery was sponsored by Nestle Toll House and called the Main Street Bake Shop, although it changed its name to Main Street Bakery in 2001. Between 1985 and 1991, the Main Street Bakery had no sponsor and was called the Main Street Bakery and Cookie Shop. In its original 1971 version, however, the shop was sponsored by Sarah Lee and called Walt Disney World's Main Street Bakery. Although the bakery has always sold coffee, the original theme was, ironically, based on a quaint tea room. The theme of the Main Street Bakery today still revolves around a turn-of-the-century bakery, and while the offerings and decor of the shop have changed, the store still retains much of its original charm. When the Starbucks takeover was announced in 2012, many guests feared that the store would be a departure from small-town charm and instead become corporate and stoic. As always, Disney does a remarkable job of telling a story in a physical space, and if you glance at the walls, you'll notice photos of the grand opening of the family-owned bakery, which makes it seem like it has existed for over a hundred years. 
You'll also see various photos of individuals drinking coffee and tea around the world, as well as some fine china and decor matching what you might have found in Walt's Marceline. What's not as clear, however, is the Starbucks name. While you will find a few small signs and subtle tributes to the Starbucks siren logo, Disney has blended the corporate logo into the background so that it fits seamlessly with the design of Main Street USA. And with so many towns across the world featuring Starbucks, the bakery feels more Main Street than ever. Let's now glance at some of the windows above the Main Street Bakery because there are quite a few worth mentioning. The first one we'll look at is actually found in the blue section just to the right of the bakery. Up on the second floor is a window that reads, Roy E. Disney, specializing in the gentlemanly sport of racing the sea. Names around Roy's include Roy Patrick, Abigail, Susan, Timothy, and his first mate, Patty Disney. Roy E. Disney was the son of Roy O. Disney and therefore Walt's nephew. His first marriage to Patty brought him four children, Roy Patrick, Abigail, Susan, and Timothy, the names featured near his own. In addition to being a sailing enthusiast and a member of the Disney family, Roy E. Disney was perhaps best known for helping to revive the Walt Disney Company and Disney feature animation. As the vice chairman and head of the animation department, Roy helped to kick off the Disney Renaissance with films like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King. He also personally oversaw the creation of Fantasia 2000, which debuted on January 1st of the new millennium as a tribute to his uncle's original 1940 film. Roy was a strong advocate for quality animated films, and his legacy put Disney back on the map for millions of families around the world. To the left of Roy E. Disney's family window is a tribute to another famous member of the Disney family. In between Dick Nunes and Oferrante, the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World and vice president of administration and production for Walt Disney Imagineering, respectively, stands the name Ron Miller. The three men knew each other well, having played football together at the University of Southern California, and so their windows all fall under the original Dick Nunes gym here on Main Street, with Dick as the supervisor, Orlando Ferrante as the masseur, and Ron as the night manager, offering 24-hour service. Ron Miller was Walt Disney's son-in-law, having married Walt's daughter Diane. Walt recruited Ron to join the Walt Disney Studios in 1957, and his first role was as the second assistant on Old Yeller. Ron eventually became the CEO of the Walt Disney Company in 1980, a role he held until Michael Eisner's start in 1984, and helped to push for technological innovation and expansion at the company. He is perhaps best known for starting up the Disney Channel, in addition to Walt Disney Home Video and Touchstone Pictures. Ron also oversaw the opening of Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland as CEO. Years later, he served on the board of directors for the Walt Disney Family Museum, which opened in San Francisco in 2009. Continuing to the left of this set of windows, we'll find a tribute to yet another famous family in the world of Disney, the Iwerks family. The leftmost window on the second floor, above the entrance to the Main Street Bakery reads, Iwerks Iwerks Stereoscopic Cameras of Iwerks Don Iwerks Repairs Modifications No Two Exactly Alike. This father-son duo had a long history at Disney that predates even the Disney Brothers Studios. Ub Iwerks had originally met Walt in Kansas City as co-workers at the Pesman Rubin advertising firm. 
After some time at the firm, Waltz and Ubb set out to create their own advertising illustration company called iWorks Disney, an organization that was short-lived since Waltz soon received an offer at the Kansas City Slide Company. He invited Ubb to join him when another opportunity opened shortly thereafter. When Waltz moved from Kansas City to Los Angeles in 1923, he wrote to Ubb and convinced him to come work at the Disney Brothers Studios, where his first project would be to animate Waltz's Alice comedies. Later, Ubb went on to animate Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Walt's first commercial success, and then became Mickey Mouse's original animator. Shortly after Mickey, Ubb left the Disney Brothers Studios to set out on his own, but he later returned to Disney as an expert in technical innovation. He designed a multi-head optical printer, which won him an Academy Award and helped Disney seamlessly combine live action and animation for films like Song of the South and Mary Poppins. Ubb was also one of Walt's original Imagineers under Wed Enterprises, where he helped create new technology for attractions like It's a Small World, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, and The Hall of Presidents. Where Walt was the creative expert, Ubb was the technical wizard, a trait that he passed down to his son Don. Don Iwerks joined the Walt Disney Company in 1950 and spent many years at the studio machine shop. Throughout his 35 years at the company, Don helped to develop Circle Vision, a 360 film technique used at various Disney attractions, the film effects for Captain EO, the projection technology for Star Tours, and more. In 1997, Don received the Gordon E. Sawyer Award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Board of Governors for his contributions to the movie industry, and his legacy earned him a spot with his father here on Main Street, USA. The next time you watch a Disney film or experience a Disney attraction with any kind of projection technology, thank Ub and Don, the father-son duo that revolutionized the movie industry. Before we move on to our next savory Main Street location, let's take a look across the street because there are several more prominent names featured in the windows above the Hall of Champions. This next window might be a bit difficult to see, but if you try looking at an angle from the street you might get a better view. The window features a circus clown at the top and reads Big Top Theatrical Productions, Famous Since 55, Shows for World's Fairs and International Expositions. Claude Coates, Mark Davis, John DeCure, Bill Justice. The name Bill Justice is one that we spoke about earlier in the tour. He was the Imagineer who designed the large mural once featured in the Walt Disney Story Theater in Town Square. The other names listed here, Claude Coates, Mark Davis, and John DeCure, all played major roles at Walt Disney Imagineering. The year featured on the window, 1955, is a tribute to the year that Disneyland first opened in California, and the World's Fair and International Expositions reference pays tribute to Walt Disney's attractions at the 1964 World's Fair. Claude Coates and Mark Davis were two of Walt's original Imagineers at WED Enterprises. Mark Davis began working for Walt in 1935 as an apprentice animator for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. He soon went on to work on Bambi and later Song of the South, Cinderella, and Alice in Wonderland. Mark was perhaps best known for his uncanny ability to create timeless characters and hilarious gags, a skill set that proved incredibly valuable when he transferred to WED Enterprises. While Disneyland was beautiful and charming, it lacked the whimsical characters and gags that made Walt Disney's motion picture films so popular. When Mark was brought onto the Imagineering team, he helped develop concepts and characters for The Enchanted Tiki Room, 
Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted Mansion, It's a Small World, and The Jungle Cruise. The Leslie Iwerks documentary The Imagineering Story tells how Mark Davis's witty additions to The Jungle Cruise provided what were probably the first laughs heard at Disneyland. Mark retired from Walt Disney Imagineering in 1978, but later returned to help with the opening of Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland. Mark's colleague, Claude Coates, was in many ways the opposite of Mark, and part of the genius of Walt Disney was placing these two heads together to collaborate on projects like Pirates of the Caribbean and The Haunted Mansion. While Mark's creations were whimsical and fun, Claude's work focused more on stage sets and ambiance. Where Mark was extroverted and energetic, Claude was introverted and reserved. Like Mark, Claude joined the Walt Disney Studios in 1935 as a background artist for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and he later designed backgrounds for Dumbo, The Three Caballeros, Song of the South, Cinderella, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, and Lady and the Tramp. Claude joined Wed Enterprises in 1955 and went on to develop the stage sets and concepts for attractions like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White's Scary Adventures, Carousel of Progress, and The Submarine Voyage. Claude's work also continued at Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland with attractions like Horizons, World of Motion, The Universe of Energy, and The Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour. John DeCure, the last name we see here on this set of windows, joined Walt Disney Imagineering in 1968 to support the development of Walt Disney World. John's work as a production designer led him to such attractions as the Hall of Presidents, Space Mountain, Epcot's World Showcase, and Spaceship Earth. In his later years at Disney, John helped to develop attractions like Muppet Vision 3D and the extraterrestrial Alien Encounter, an extinct Magic Kingdom attraction from the late 90s. Let's now head next door to Casey's Corner, a fan favorite here on Main Street USA that has been serving hot dogs since October 1st, 1971. When this counter service restaurant opened at the Magic Kingdom, it was originally called the Coca-Cola Refreshment Corner, thanks of course to a corporate sponsorship with the famous beverage brand. In 1955, the shop was renamed to Casey's Corner, a tribute to Casey at the Bat which is a musical segment from the 1946 Disney animated feature, Make Mine Music. In the short segment, Casey's team is down by two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning of a Major League Baseball game. With one out left in the final inning, it's up to this capable but conceited character to win the game. Expecting the umpire to call the ball on the first two pitches, Casey lets the first two strikes pass him by without swinging. Filled with anger, he swings and misses on the third strike to lose the game. If you get the chance, you should try to watch this 8-minute segment to enjoy the full sequence. You can also read the poem it was based on, which was written by Ernest Lawrence Thayer in 1888. For now, let's head around the back corner of the shop. There are a few pieces of memorabilia worth pointing out. If you're in the mood, feel free to pause here and grab a hot dog, corn dog nuggets, french fries, or a Coca-Cola refreshment. On your way, take a quick look at the sign above the entrance, which says that Casey's was established in 1888, the same year the original poem was written. Hot dogs, baseball, and turn-of-the-century Main Street fit seamlessly together because of their nostalgic American heritage, which is part of the appeal of Casey's Corner here on Main Street USA. Inside, the walls are covered with baseball photos and memorabilia from Walt's time, including baseball cards, pennants, and other antiques from Walt's era. 
Especially since the shop feels like a large concession stand, it ties closely to Walt's old job as a concession vendor. As you browse the photos on the walls, see if you can find one that features men and women in jerseys from different teams. This is a modern photo made to look old that features the Walt Disney Imagineers who designed Casey's Corner. Near the entrance to the gift shop, you'll also find a scorecard that features the final score from Casey at the bat. And speaking of the gift shop, it's no surprise that most of the merchandise sold at this corner of the Emporium are focused on sports jerseys and other sports-related Disney memorabilia. It all ties back to Disney's seamless transition from one part of the park to the next. The other thing to take note of inside Casey's Corner, and outside for that matter, are the various nods to Coca-Cola. Perhaps the most subtle is hidden in plain sight, the color scheme. What are the two most prominent colors you'll find? That's right, red and white, the longtime colors of the famous brand. The window awnings outside, the umbrellas, the striped pattern on the walls, and even the chairs are all red and white. In addition, you'll find some classic Coca-Cola memorabilia and light fixtures throughout the store, once again incorporating a sponsor in subtle ways that uphold Disney's third key, show. Well folks, we're getting close to the end of our tour, but there are still a few stories left to tell and an unanswered trivia question to revisit. For now, let's head back outside Casey's Corner and explore the windows that face Cinderella Castle. There are a few famous names that some Walt Disney Imagineering fans might recognize. I'll meet you there in a moment. If you're keeping up with Disney news online, whether that's watching YouTube videos or scrolling through your Facebook or Instagram feed or perhaps joining some Facebook groups, I find that there's a lot of really interesting articles that get circulated about what's happening at Disney. And a lot of the time it's either uh, dramatized or embellished or it's plain wrong. It's just a lot of rumors that get circulated about Disney that frankly aren't true. And so it has always frustrated me to try to find a reliable source of Disney news. And that's why about a year ago now, I partnered with The Kingdom Insider, which you can find more about by going to thekingdominsider.com or following The Kingdom Insider on any social media channel. Christy runs The Kingdom Insider, and what I love about Christy is that not only is she a lifelong Disney fan and a Disney historian at that, she knows a lot about Disney, she really knows her stuff, but she runs The Kingdom Insider with a high level of professionalism and journalistic ethics. You will not find clickbait with her posts or her articles. Instead, she just posts confirmed news about Disney that has been released and confirmed by the Walt Disney Company. It's truly refreshing to see that type of content, and I encourage you all to check it out at thekingdominsider.com, again, and social media at thekingdominsider as well. And the other great thing is she has a lot of really amazing tips to share about traveling to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, and other Disney destinations, plus even things like shopdisney.com, Disney Plus, and other ways you can bring the magic of Disney into your own home. She is a lifelong Disney fan and a mom with two young boys, travels to Disney frequently and includes some really up-to-date and relevant information about traveling to Disney as a family. So again, I encourage you to check her out. That is why I partner with her at thekingdominsider.com or on social media at thekingdominsider. Hub and Spoke 
To wrap up our tour of Casey's Corner, let's take a look at the windows up on the second floor that face Cinderella Castle. Above the America's Favorite sign is a window that reads the Camelot Corporation, Roadshow Installations, Tony Baxter, Dave Burkhart, Ed Johnson, Gary Younger. Perhaps the most famous of these names is Tony Baxter, who was one of the most prominent creative executives in the second generation of Walt Disney Imagineering. Tony was a lifelong Disney fan who took a job at Disneyland in high school, scooping ice cream at the Carnation Plaza Gardens at the earliest age he was allowed to apply. Tony had dreamed of becoming a Walt Disney Imagineer, and one day at work, a chance encounter backstage with Claude Coates earned him a personal tour of Pirates of the Caribbean while it was still under construction. It was perhaps fate that Claude would end up becoming Tony's mentor at Walt Disney Imagineering a few years later. Tony worked at the famous Creative Enterprise from 1970 until 2013. During those 43 years, he helped lead the development of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain, Star Tours, and Indiana Jones Adventure, four e-ticket attractions that redefined modern thrill rides in the last few decades of the 20th century. Tony also supervised the development of the Imagination Pavilion at Epcot and served as the executive producer of Disneyland Paris. His contributions defined the second generation of Walt Disney Imagineering and earned him a window on Main Street USA with this beautiful view of Cinderella Castle. The next name on the window belongs to Dave Burkhart, a Walt Disney Imagineer who worked in the model shop. Dave began working at Walt Disney Imagineering in 1967 and helped design Magic Kingdom attractions like the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, the Haunted Mansion, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He later worked on Tokyo Disneyland's Show Quality Assurance Program and was eventually promoted to executive producer for the Disneyland portfolio and vice president of Walt Disney Imagineering's internal show quality standards. The last two names, Ed Johnson and Gary Younger, also worked at Walt Disney Imagineering. Ed Johnson was a project show designer, and Gary Younger was a director at Mapo, a model shop named as a tribute to the success of Mary Poppins, which debuted in theaters the year before the shop was incorporated. Our next window, the last we'll discuss here on our tour of Main Street USA, is perhaps the most important and iconic. Before we do that, let's talk about the hub, which is the open space you see in front of Cinderella Castle. When Walt Disney was designing Disneyland, he hoped to solve a common problem guests faced at local amusement parks and carnivals, getting lost. Prior to 1955, most amusement parks were designed without a clear layout, with various attractions scattered around the park. To solve the problem, Walt turned to a concept now centuries old in Paris, the hub-and-spoke system. Like a bicycle wheel, the hub-and-spoke system follows a radial design with lands diverging from a central point. In the case of the Magic Kingdom, the central point is Cinderella Castle. Standing at 189 feet tall, Cinderella Castle is tall enough to orient guests throughout the park, ensuring that they never get lost and can always find their way to another land or to the exit. If you make your way towards the partner statue, which is the statue of Walt and Mickey in the center of the hub, you can get a clearer look at this brilliant design. 
To transition guests from one land to the next, each spoke off the hub features a tunnel or a bridge. In the case of Fantasyland, guests walk through the gates of Cinderella Castle to enter their world of fantasy. To enter Adventureland, a bamboo bridge bring guests under a tarp sign surrounded by tribal decor into an exotic land. With Liberty Square, a colonial-era brick gate leads guests to a wooden bridge into 18th century Philadelphia. To visit Tomorrowland, a concrete bridge leads guests under a sleek archway into a fantastic world of the future. As you look at each of these bridges, take note of their relative size. Which of the bridges appears to be the largest? More specifically, which could accommodate the most guests at any given time? While the walkways to Adventureland, Liberty Square, and Fantasyland share roughly the same area, the bridge to Tomorrowland is significantly larger. Remember that most guests tend to stick to their right, which means that visitors entering the park will walk toward Tomorrowland first. There will be guests who head to another land instead, but the bridge to Tomorrowland will need to accommodate at least a few more than the others. In conjunction with these bridges and tunnels, Waltz also devised a concept known as a weenie, which is a sight, sound, or smell, most often a sight, that draws people in a particular direction. Looking toward Adventureland, the sound of tribal drums and the sight of the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse draw in guests who are seeking adventure. Looking toward Liberty Square, you'll see the Liberty Bell Riverboat, along with its iconic steamboat whistle, inviting guests to a bygone colonial era. In the case of Fantasyland, guests can peek through the gates of Cinderella Castle to see the Prince Charming Regal Carousel spinning around its axis, which welcomes guests into a whimsical world of fantasy. Meanwhile, the Tomorrowland Bridge offers the widest sweeping view of any single land and holds the most kinetic energy, especially thanks to the TTA People Mover and the Astro Orbiter, at least one of which can always be seen in motion. So as to not leave out Main Street USA, the Town Square train station serves as the main weenie of this land from the hub, a familiar sight for those looking for the front of the park. Oh, and while we're looking in that direction, see if you notice that slight incline we were talking about earlier in the tour. It's located just between Casey's Corner and the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor, giving guests some courteous support on their way out of the park after a long day of walking and standing. You might notice that the guests on Main Street seem to be at a slightly lower elevation than where you're standing now. Not to leave out the most apparent feature of the hub, and the park for that matter, let's talk about Cinderella Castle. Remember that question we asked about way in the beginning of the tour? Let's ask it again now. How many bricks and stones were used to build this iconic structure? Perhaps you wrote your answer down on your phone's notepad or a piece of paper, or maybe you simply committed it to memory. Here in the hub, we have a much closer view. Does the closer look change your answer? In either case, it's time to reveal the correct answer. The answer is zero. That's right. The Walt Disney Imagineers didn't use a single brick or stone to build Cinderella Castle. Instead, the outside of the structure is primarily made of fiberglass, which is strong enough to withstand 100 mile an hour hurricane force winds. The inside of the structure is made of 600 tons of steel, and it's all supported by a strong concrete foundation. Looking at the outside of Cinderella Castle, does the structure look at all like the castle from the 1950 film? 
While it draws some similarities, it isn't directly inspired by the film, which is the reason why Disney calls it Cinderella Castle instead of Cinderella's Castle, indicating that it isn't her castle, but rather inspired by it. In reality, this structure is inspired by eight castles from across Europe, most of which can be found in France. The blended inspiration makes the castle seem somewhat familiar, and yet it stands on its own iconic design. Inside the castle's first floor is a gorgeous series of mosaic murals, which we'll be sure to discuss on an Imagineer tour of Fantasyland. It's also where you'll find the entrance to Cinderella's Royal Table, one of the most popular restaurants at Walt Disney World since it literally gives you the opportunity to dine in this iconic landmark. What's lesser known is what can be found on the upper floors of the castle. Originally, the upper floors of Cinderella Castle were intended for Walt's Magic Kingdom apartment. While Walt had built his apartment at Disneyland in the firehouse, he knew that the size of Cinderella Castle could afford him and his family some space with a prime view of the entire park. Although Walt passed away before the Magic Kingdom was completed, work continued on his apartment and the space remained largely unoccupied although it was used as a call center for Walt Disney World for a period of time. In 2006, Disney launched the Year of a Million Dreams, a campaign that focused on random giveaways throughout the parks. A group of incognito cast members called the Dream Squad would select families at random throughout the day to win a prize or a unique experience, like a VIP view of the fireworks, a private tour on Kilimanjaro safaris, or even a free Disney Cruise Line vacation. One of the most coveted experiences and part of the draw for visiting Walt Disney World during this campaign was the opportunity to win a free night in Cinderella Castle, something that could never be reserved or purchased even for those with the deepest pockets. To prepare for the campaign, the Walt Disney Imagineers converted Walt's apartment into the Cinderella Castle Suite, a 600 square foot area complete with 17th century furniture, a princess bedchamber, stained glass windows that depict the story of Cinderella, a beautiful bathroom complete with Cinderella murals and a ceiling with twinkling stars, and a cozy living area with a faux fireplace. Winners also received their own personal butler for the evening, and while they couldn't leave the castle during their one-night stay, they could brag about the once-in-a-lifetime experience that afforded them the opportunity to sleep overnight in Cinderella Castle. Although the campaign ended in 2008, guests are still occasionally invited to stay overnight. Still, the opportunity is extraordinarily rare, by invitation only, and cannot be purchased no matter the price you're willing to bid. We're going to wrap up our tour in just a few moments with some more tributes to Walt and a stop at the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor. For now, take a moment to grab a photo or two in front of this iconic castle. I'll meet you back in front of Walt's statue in the center of the hub. Let's face it, planning a trip to Disney requires a lot of work, and even just thinking about where you're going to stay can be a big decision. There are about 30 resorts at Walt Disney World alone, and then, of course, if you're visiting the Disneyland Resort or traveling on Disney Cruise Line, there are so many choices and decisions that go into planning your trip. If you're like me, I love planning every last detail, but sometimes you just need a little bit of extra help or perhaps are, you know, have a few questions about how to really 
maximize your budget and make the most of your Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, vacation, or any other Disney destination. And that's why I partner with Academy Travel. Academy Travel is a diamond earmarked travel agency. That is a level of distinction that is recognized by Disney. It's actually given by Disney and is the highest level of distinction that they award to travel agencies. They have platinum, Uh, earmarked agencies, they have diamond earmarked agencies and other levels, and diamond is the highest one. Academy Travel is one of only three agencies with that distinction, and in fact, they are the number one travel agency for booking travel to Disney destinations, and what's amazing about them is they've been doing this for over 25 years, and they do it all for free to those who are booking a trip. And essentially, Disney is the one who ends up paying them a little bit of a commission whenever they book a trip. But the amazing thing for you is that they can take out a lot of that guesswork and help you to plan the perfect vacation. They'll even book the hotel for you and take a lot of that guesswork out of planning your trip. And in many cases, can even help to save you money because they're aware of all the discounts that are currently available. And again, can help you to maximize your budget and save you a little bit of money on your next Disney trip. The easiest way to get a free quote from Academy Travel is to head to the Imagine Your Podcast website, which is Plain and simple, imagineyourpodcast.com. I have a, a travel drop down at the top of the website. And if you click on any of those destinations, it'll take you right to a free quote form. And if you just fill that out, a representative from Academy Travel, they have over a thousand representatives, will get back to you and help you to plan your next Disney vacation. So again, head to imagineyourpodcast.com. Click on that travel drop down at the top and request a free quote from Academy Travel for your next Disney vacation. Walt's Kingdom. It feels like the partner statue has been a part of the Magic Kingdom since opening day, but the statue has only lived here since 1995, while the original at Disneyland was completed in 1993. Like the Sharing the Magic statue in Town Square, the partner statue was designed by legendary Walt Disney Imagineer Blaine Gibson with support from Imagineers Marty Sklar and John Hench and former Disneyland president Jack Lenquist. Ironically, Walt never wanted to have a statue of himself in the park, but as the generations of Disney fans who grew up with Walt on their television sets were becoming a smaller percentage of the population, Marty Sklar and John Hench felt a need to preserve the memory of Walt here in the park, and they were able to convince Michael Eisner and the Disney family to greenlight the project. In sculpting Walt, Blaine Gibson wanted to make him feel larger than life, so the statue you see here stands at 6 feet 5 inches, while Walt was about 5 foot 10 in real life. Like any Imagineering project, the attention to detail is extraordinary. For example, you might notice Walt's tie has the initials STR. This logo was commonly seen on Walt's ties when he was alive, a symbol that stood for Smoke Tree Ranch, a location in Palm Springs where he and his family owned a vacation home. In addition, you'll notice that Walt is wearing a regular wedding ring in addition to an Irish Clotta wedding ring on his right hand, a nod to Walt's Irish heritage and something he and Lillian both wore after a trip to Ireland in 1948. Blaine also paid particular attention to Walt's expression and general appearance. 
He knew that Walt always wanted to spread happiness throughout his parks, and so he chose to give Walt a happy expression. The smile also doubles as a means of expressing Walt's pride for his accomplishments. For his general appearance, Blaine chose to portray Walt as he appeared in 1954, when he really felt that Walt was in his prime. You might also notice that Walt is pointing out into the distance with his signature two-finger point. Part of the inspiration for this pose was to have Walt pointing at the park as if to say to Mickey, look at all we accomplished. Close observers might also notice that Walt is pointing slightly upward, as if perhaps to say that's where Mickey can find him, smiling down upon the park. For Mickey Mouse, Blaine turned to two animated features for inspiration. The first, an animated short called The Pointer, helped to guide Mickey's height. The second, Fantasia, Walt Disney's classic 1940 film, helped to guide Mickey's pose. In one scene from Fantasia, Mickey shakes the hand of conductor Leopold Stokowski. Since Mickey has only four fingers, and of course Walt has five, this scene gave Blaine a better idea of how Walt might hold Mickey's hand in three dimensions. Below Walt and Mickey is a plaque with a quote from Walt that reads, We believe in our idea, a family park where parents and children could have fun together. The statue serves as an eternal tribute to Walt here in the park, a physical embodiment of the man, and the mouse, who started it all. Before we head to our last tribute of Walt, let's take a quick look back down Main Street, USA. When we started this tour, you might have known a few pieces of information we share today, most of the information, or perhaps even more. After all, we haven't exhausted every detail on Main Street. So many decisions went into every element in this land that a fully comprehensive tour would take many more hours to complete. The focus of this tour has simply been on some of the key players and stories that built this magic kingdom. What's inspiring to me is the fact that it all came to life thanks to one man's dream and a team of creative individuals working in harmony determined to bring that dream to life. Walt might have never found the Marceline of his childhood, but this magic kingdom comes pretty close. And thanks to his mission to create happy memories for millions of families, this magic kingdom can be your utopian Marceline too. Alright, let's head over to the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor on the Tomorrowland corner of Main Street where we have one more window to explore. Back at the confectionery, I shared how the windows on Main Street followed the traditional order of opening movie credits, with the producer appearing first and the director appearing last. In the case of the end title of a film, the credits appear in reverse order, as they do on Main Street too. We also mentioned that Walt Disney was the director of this film we call The Magic Kingdom. Fittingly, his window is the last one we'll find here on Main Street USA, and boy does he have a heavenly view. You'll find Walt's window on the second floor of the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor, which is only fitting given Walt's love of ice cream. It's the first set of windows facing Cinderella Castle and reads, Walter E. Disney, Graduate School of Design and Master Planning. Instructors Howard Brummett, Marvin Davis, Fred Hope, Vic Green, Bill Martin, Chuck Myall. Headmaster Richard Irvine, Dean of Design John Hench, we specialize in Imagineering. Walt believed that it takes people to make the dream a reality, and he surrounded himself with so many capable individuals. It's only fitting that the names surrounding Walt here accompany the specialized Imagineering distinction. 
We'll start with Marvin Davis, who contributed countless concepts to Walt Disney Imagineering. Most notably, Marvin developed the master plan for Disneyland, using Herb Ryman's sketch and Walt's vision to determine the design and layout of virtually every aspect of the park. Marvin also directed the master plan for Walt Disney World and Walt's original plans for Epcot, and he helped to design Disney's Contemporary Resort and Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. Furthermore, Marvin art-directed Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, which earned him an Emmy, and he art-directed the Mickey Mouse Club, Zorro, and many more famous Walt Disney productions. Fred Hope, Howard Brummett, and Vic Green also served on the master planning team for Walt Disney World, art-directing and designing many of the elements you see here today. But the other major instructor listed on this window is Bill Martin. Bill was one of the first Imagineers at WED Enterprises and toured amusement parks around the country to develop ideas for Disneyland. He was a brilliant contributor to what Walt Disney Imagineers call the Blue Sky Phase, brainstorming new ideas for the park. Ultimately, Walt selected Bill as the art director for Fantasyland, deciding on the land's layout and attractions. Bill also designed the layout of the Disneyland monorail and contributed to the design of New Orleans Square, Pirates of the Caribbean, Autopia, and the Haunted Mansion. In 1971, Bill was named the Vice President of Design for WED Enterprises, which gave him the responsibility to oversee the master layout of the Magic Kingdom. Bill also helped to design Cinderella Castle, Main Street USA, and the Utilidors, all of which we discussed on today's tour. The two names directly underneath Waltz, referenced as the Headmaster and Dean of Design, contributed even more to the Walt Disney Company and worked closely with Walt for many years. The Headmaster, Richard Irvine, was one of the originators of the idea that Walt's theme park could be designed by his own team of art directors, technicians, and artists folks who had the creativity and technical know-how to build an immersive experience. Thanks to Richard's suggestion, Walt established WED Enterprises. Fittingly, Walt gave Richard the responsibility to oversee designing and planning for every attraction at Disneyland and at the 1964 World's Fair. Richard later helped to master plan Walt Disney World, and he was then promoted to the role of Executive Vice President and Chief Operations Officer of WED Enterprises. He can truly be thought of as the headmaster of Walt Disney Imagineering. Our last name here on the window, John Hench, is fittingly labeled as the Dean of Design. John was personally mentored by Walt Disney, and he literally wrote the book on the design of the Disney parks, an amazing book published in 2003 called Designing Disney, Imagineering, and the Art of the Show. John started at the Walt Disney Company as a sketch artist for Fantasia in 1939. He was incredibly eager to learn and was thus given a variety of roles, including a background painter for Dumbo, a layout artist for the Three Caballeros, color and styling for Peter Pan, animation effects for the Living Desert, and special effects for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. His variety of skills in filmmaking and animation made him the perfect designer for Walt Disney Imagineering, which he joined in 1954. During his time at Walt Disney Imagineering, John helped to design attractions for the 1964 World's Fair, master plan Walt Disney World and Tokyo Disneyland, and contribute ideas for various other Disney parks around the world. 
If you love Space Mountain in Tomorrowland, you can also thank John Hench for helping bring this attraction, one of Walt's final ideas, to life. Much like Walt, John would frequently visit Disneyland, interact with the guests, ride the attractions, and watch guest reactions. He embodied Walt in many ways, and his years at Walt Disney Imagineering earned him this coveted spot on Main Street USA. We've explored so many windows here on Main Street, but the amazing thing to consider is the number of windows we skipped. It truly takes a city of people to bring Disney to life, and I encourage you on a future visit to take a look at the various names on Main Street that we didn't cover in today's tour. These individuals represent an incredibly elite group, a small fraction of the many cast members at Disney who played a significant role in the creation of this magic kingdom, providing invaluable contributions to the company and, more importantly, to the world. Before we conclude our tour, I'd like to share one more hidden secret, an event that you won't find on a Times Guide, but one that makes a day at the Magic Kingdom even more magical. Although the park is only open until a particular time each evening, you won't find doors locking and security guards ushering guests out at that time. Instead, Disney has devised clever ways of encouraging guests to exit the park at their own pace. In addition, Main Street USA remains open for a period of time after the park's official closing time, a courtesy that allows for one last scoop of ice cream, a few more souvenir purchases, and perhaps a few final photos and memories. About 30 minutes after the park closes most evenings, as lingering guests are making their way out of the park, something magical happens that can only be seen and heard on Main Street USA. An instrumental version of When You Wish Upon a Star, perhaps the most classic Disney song of all time, begins to play over the speakers. At the same time, Cinderella Castle begins to magically change color and twinkle with dozens of sparkling lights, as if Tinkerbell has just sprinkled the castle with pixie dust. Soon after, guests hear the following message. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, on behalf of everyone here at the Magic Kingdom, we thank you for joining us today for a magical gathering of family, friends, fun, and fantasy. We hope that your magical journey with us has created wonderful memories that will last a lifetime. Walt Disney said that the Magic Kingdom is a world of imagination, hopes, and dreams. In this timeless land of enchantments, magic and make-believe are reborn, and fairy tales come true. The Magic Kingdom is a place for the young and the young at heart, a special place where when you wish upon a star, your dreams really do come true. Until we see you again, have a safe trip home. Thank you and good night. Immediately following, Mickey Mouse bids everyone a cheerful see you real soon as the final verse of When You Wish Upon a Star evokes tears of joy for all those watching. The Magic Kingdom is truly the heart of the most magical place on Earth, and Main Street USA is its greatest legacy, the gateway to the other themed lands of the park. After taking this tour, virtually or in person, I hope you have a deeper appreciation for the people who helped design the park, the countless hours and tenacious work that went into its creation, and the many hidden details that will go unnoticed by most guests because, to borrow from a quote from Walt, quality will win out. Walt ultimately wanted to create a utopian world, a place where families could create happy memories together, and where even adults could forget their worries and believe in magic. 
Main Street USA is Walt's realization of the Marceline of his childhood, and he invited the entire world to experience it with him. This tour of Main Street USA at Walt Disney World was written, produced, and narrated by Matthew Kroll, copyright 2020. Imagineer Tours is in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. For a full list of footnotes, credits, disclaimers, and contact information, please visit ImagineerTours.com. And remember to subscribe to Imagineer Podcast for family-friendly interviews, discussions, and in-depth analysis of all things Disney. You can learn more about Imagineer Podcast by visiting ImagineerPodcast.com. Until our next gathering, thank you for listening to Imagineer Tours. Imagineer Tours